Father in heaven, uh, thank you for my brother, Hal. Uh, thank you for bringing him to our church. Thank you for the ministry that you've given him to this family uh, that was strangers to him, was totally unknown to him several years ago, but that now has become a real family to him and that he is cared for in so many ways that he has learned from and that he's invested in. Pray that you would sustain his strength as he ministers to them, as he uh, walks through challenges but gets to see joys as well come his way. And I pray that you'd be at work in that family and what Hal shared at the end would come to reality, that there would be five more souls, uh, three kids and two adults uh, that come into the kingdom as they hear about the love of Christ and as they see the love of Christ demonstrated to them through Hal and through others of us uh, who are part of your people. Um, Father, we ask for a few others that we've sent out from our church, even into other ministry contexts, even Chris, who was referenced in that video. Uh, Lord, we ask uh, that as he, even him and his family, return home now, as we found out this week for a short season, to help him recover from a very uh, gnarly injury to his Achilles. Uh, we pray that you give him safe travels here, that you would help them to get acclimated back a short season to the states and we pray that it would be that we know that their desire is to minister to this tribe in png to to go back and to continue to teach them uh how to write even their own language and to teach them about you to point them to your son jesus we pray that you would set them up well in this short term to be able to go back for the long term and invest there and see a church planted in that tribe and father we also pray uh, for those uh, in mexico who are doing work uh, being sent from our church or our family of churches or even others who are part of the kingdom. There have been so many earthquakes, even yesterday, uh, in Oaxaca near the Sotos where they live. Thank you for uh, protecting them and, and uh, making sure that they are safe and that they're able to minister to those in their town and in their state there. Uh, in talking with Omar last night, I know he even has a desire to see his boys cared for through this, who have been fearful with all these earthquakes that are happening and, and seeing these images and hearing stories even getting closer to them. We pray that, that you would save their souls, that you would give them hope in something that's, that's more important than just stable ground that doesn't shake, that they would have hope for eternity, uh, that they can be made right with you, and there will be a kingdom where there's no more disasters and no more suffering and no more death. Father, we ask as we open your word now uh, that you would give us eyes to see it rightly, that you would impact our hearts, that you would give life even to those in this room who don't have it as of now, that they would see and behold Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. You all can uh, open up your Bible to the book of John. That's where uh, we've been for a few weeks now and where we're going to continue to be for a while. Uh, while you're finding that, I actually wanted to share about one thing uh, that we're going to do as part of our series that we're going through, through the book of John. We're going to show some videos periodically, like this was the first one this morning. Uh, we're hoping to do those about every month or so to give you some glimpses into what God's doing through us as a church. And uh, so we're trying to line some stories up from... Uh, some may be like formal ministry things people do within the church, but we'd really love to see some videos of people out in the community, in their homes, in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, on college campus, wherever God's using you. And so can look forward to that and seeing some stories of how the love that has come to us, now we are loving people who give to others in all sorts of different ways. And so uh, wonderful to hear that story this morning. But another thing we're going to try to do every few months is to have a local ministry come in uh, and to share with us as a church.
church family about what they do and the way that their love that God's put within their heart is motivating them to give to our community. And so I wanted to prep you just real briefly for next Sunday. We're going to do that for the first time. We're going to have Heartline Pregnancy Center come in. And it's going to be the first of what we hope to be many organizations to come in. And we'll spread them out so it's not overwhelming in time. But our heart in bringing these organizations in is a few things. We, we give money as a church to these organizations, but we're slow. We realize that many of you may not even realize that we do that, uh, that we give money to them. It might just be a check that we write as a church, and we really didn't want it to be that. And so a few things we're wanting to accomplish in bringing them in. One is, uh, and you can see these along the bottom here, one is that we would know how to pray for these folks, these brothers and sisters in Christ who are ministering even in many unseen ways in our community, that we would know how to pray for them, uh, that we may even see and get little glimpses of how we could serve with them, uh, that if there's a, a thing that they do that stirs in your heart or you have time that you could give to help them, that you could have eyes to see ways you could serve uh, at minimum, while they're here, we want to encourage them and thank them and uh, get to talk to them, tell them thank you for what they're doing and the ministry that they have. And then the last thing is that we would like to even financially give to them. And so each time one of these, this is mainly why I wanted to mention it today, each time as these organizations come in, we'd love to take up a special love offering uh, for these organizations. So it's not just a check that we write cumulatively as a church to them that you don't see, but if the Lord's given you income that you could be able to use, whether it's small amounts or large, to donate to these organizations and help fund financially even their ministry, we wanted to give opportunity and to, a way for us as individuals and as a church family to bless them in a way that we know we're doing it, not just doing it behind the scenes and so they're going to come next sunday uh we're going to uh, have an interview with katie jacobson who works there who's actually part of our church family uh, but wanted to give you a heads up if you would like to give that you may be able to bring some money with you or bring a checkbook uh, with you but i trust that the lord will do good things and bring in those organizations giving us a glimpse of what god's up to and maybe even ways we don't realize uh, right around us here in our town all right, so we're going to be in John chapter 1 today. Uh, we're going to start at verse 29 uh, here in a minute. And uh, I, this, we're in a season, uh, as I was reading this passage, I at least am in a season uh, where something came to mind for me. I'm doing a few weddings, officiating a few weddings, even one today, like later today, so it'll be an awesome day. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of my job is to get to officiate weddings. And there's a question we'll sometimes hear for, that's directed towards new or people who got engaged recently, uh, where people will ask this, they'll say, when did you know that they were the one? Like, maybe you've asked that before, had people ask that before, and we don't need to get into a debate as, is there really the one, and all that stuff, but that's a question we ask, and we know what they, what we mean when we ask it, right? It's like, man, you got to know this person, did it, did this happen quickly, or was there something, like, extended relationship, and then was there something you saw, or something you observed, or something they gave you, or a way you saw them treat people, or was there something, uh, as there often is, that, that stuck out to you, that sort of sealed the deal in your mind, that said, man, I want to marry this man. I want to marry this woman. And it, it's interesting to hear how people answer that. Uh, and the reason that question came to mind is not at all because this passage is going to talk about engagement or romance or anything like that. But that question of when did you know that he was the one, uh, that stuck out in my mind because this short story we're going to read today, it really recounts when this happened, uh, where this man named John the Baptist finally knew that Jesus, his cousin, was the one. 
Uh, there was something that happened. There was an event that took place, something he witnessed that sealed it in his mind that this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for hundreds, if not thousands of years for, uh, that he is the one. And so we're going to read this this morning. It was just a few verses from verse 29 to verse 34. Um, but I, I think we're going to see something really significant, see uh, that, that we can see through John the Baptist's eyes and learn things ourselves and be reminded of things ourselves, be impacted ourselves as we hear his recounting of what the event was. It was the baptism of Jesus, of all things, was when it, it sealed the deal in John the Baptist's mind that he was the one. And so I'm going to read this. You can follow along in yours. Verses 29 to 34 of John chapter 1. Make sure you're in the Gospel of John, not First John. Uh, it may sound weird. I don't, I don't even think there actually is verse 29 in 1 John. So John 1, uh, verse 29, follow along with me. This is how John the disciple records this part of the story. It says that the next day, this he, that's John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so what I want us to gather from this short text, and as we hear this story recounted from John the Baptist, is a pretty simple message. That at, the, at its core, it's this, is to have confidence in Christ. Uh, have confidence in Christ. But there's two things I think we'll see in this text as we wrap back around through it, that we're to have confidence that Christ takes away sin and that Christ gives the Holy Spirit. Those are the two things I think that we see in this passage, that, that we're to have confidence in Christ because in that he takes away sin and that he gives the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to see that. I want you to see where I, I get that from this text and, and how we can see that in this passage. And so what I'd like to do is just sort of walk through, make sure we understood the story and what is recorded for us, but then go back and look at those two things that John had confidence in, that, that Jesus takes away sin and that he gives the Spirit. But first, I just want to make sure we read the story right, we understood it. Uh, this is a narrative, so it's a story. I want to make sure we're sort of in it and know what, what happened. Uh, this one is sort of tricky uh, because it's, it's like there's a few stories and time stamps embedded in one story. Uh, because you have, uh, it says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. So there's this immediate story that's happening. Last week we saw how John the Baptist was baptizing people and there were crowds and there was even people from Jerusalem who came to ask these questions of him like, who do you think you are baptizing? So that had happened apparently the day before this, this immediate story. And in the immediate, John the Baptist is sitting with some of his, his disciples and Jesus comes walking toward him. But you see quickly his mind starts going back to something that happened previously, the baptism of Jesus. And so he's, he recounts a bit of that and what happened that day. Maybe it was a couple days before this. Maybe it was a week, maybe a month. We don't know. Uh, but he's, he's remembering and relaying some stuff about that. 
And then it's like he takes a step even further back in time to say something that God the Father had told him in advance of that, like to get him ready for it, something to look for, something to be ready to see. So you kind of see these things all at the same time. But essentially this is what took place in this story and what we read. John the Baptist, we can see even from this passage, that he knew that his ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah. Uh, hey, we saw that last week. You can kind of see it even in here that he knows, hey, I, I came for this purpose, he says, verse 31, uh, baptizing with water that this Messiah would be revealed to Israel. That's, I, that's part of what I'm doing. I, I know that's part of my ministry is to prepare the way for Christ and somehow in some way to reveal who he is uh, to God's people. And so we, we see that he, he knows this in large part, but he doesn't know all the detail. He doesn't seem like... He doesn't know who that person is going to be quite yet. Did you notice a couple times in here he says, I myself did not know him. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't know who Jesus was. Like they were second cousins. They, he had at least met him when they were in the womb, if you remember reading the beginning of Luke. Uh, like, so I think he knew who he was in a sense, but I don't think he knew with absolute confidence for whatever reason that he is the Messiah. Maybe uh, he had heard things from his parents. Maybe he had wondered things and speculated, but it seems like he didn't quite know yet. In the beginning of his ministry, he didn't quite know who the Messiah was going to be, but he knew his ministry was going to be in part to reveal who that person was. And so uh, we see that that baptism is significant in John's mind. That's when, when he sees Jesus coming in that moment now with, as he's sitting with his disciples. His mind goes back to this baptism of Jesus that he himself had performed. And you see in verse 32, it says that John bore witness. This is what he's saying he saw happen back then, whenever it was. He says, I saw the Spirit descend, on, uh, descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And so that's what he witnessed. That did not, he had been baptizing who knows how many people, dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, and most of them would come into the water, go under the water, come back out. Maybe people would clap, or maybe because it was repentance they'd be quiet. I don't know. But this didn't typically happen. But he's remembering something amazing happened when he baptized Jesus. Uh, that he saw the Spirit of God descend from heaven. This isn't just some random bird flying by. I don't even know if there were doves around there, but th this dove-like figure descends down upon this man Jesus who he just baptized and remains there. And John sees this, and he's confident. Now, he starts booming with confidence, it seems like, as he saw that, because he recounts that, and he goes up step further back in time as we mentioned if you look at uh, verse 33 the end of it he remembered uh, while he had been in the water that day it seems like with Jesus he remembered something that God the father had told him beforehand it seems like verse 33 says that God the father had told John the Baptist this he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so John had probably been looking for this, been waiting for this. He had had this revelation from God. Hey, sometime when you baptize somebody, the Spirit of God is going to come down upon them and stay on them. And if I would have heard that, I would have been like eagerly waiting to see who is that? When is this going to take place? And he says that's exactly what he saw happen when he baptized Jesus. 
And so God the Father had predicted it, had planned it, had prepared him, John the Baptist, to see this. And when John saw that, it seems like it changes him dramatically. It starts to give him confidence, boldness, brazenness, I think, even in what he was doing. Not just I'm preparing the way for somebody, but I am preparing the way for my second cousin, Jesus, who's way more than a second cousin. He's the son of God. That's where our passage ended. And so John the Baptist, after that event, is just oozing with confidence. He's oozing with, with this confidence and authority in what he is saying. And you see that then, if you go back to the beginning of our text, I think you see how that impacts him in real time. Because in this initial scene that we see, he's just sitting with his disciples, it seems like, John the Baptist is, and Jesus comes walking up to them. And Jesus comes, and we don't know what, uh, this is the first glimpse, really, of Jesus in real time in our story here. We don't know what he was coming up to say. None of that's recorded. But John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming nearby, he tells his disciples, Behold! the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he is wanting them to pay attention and to focus. And he has confidence that this is the Son of God. This is the one who's going to deal with our sin. And he wants people to know it. And any chance he gets, he's pointing people over and over. And he's saying, I saw this thing happen at his baptism. Like, I, God told me it was going to happen. It did. I know this is the guy. I know this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the rescuer that we've been waiting for. And so John has this confidence uh, that is grounded in what he saw, what he observed, this supernatural event that had happened at the baptism of Jesus. And so that's why I say the main point I want us to get today is that we ought to have confidence in Christ as well. Uh, that, that we have seen and heard about much more than just some dove descending upon a man in the Jordan River. There's been far greater things that have happened since then that should give us confidence. Man, Jesus is not just some Jewish carpenter who grew up in Nazareth and who did some stuff in Jerusalem and flipped over some tables and did some teaching on a mountain and healed a few people. Like He is the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And like we ought to have confidence in that and not just uh, wonder and speculate, but have confidence that is true and have confidence that who is that that is who he is. And so John starts to make these bold claims about Jesus here, even in this story, John the Baptist. And the first thing, as I mentioned before, that I think that that he's trying to communicate very clearly is that Christ takes away sin. And that's the first thing I want to drive home with us is that you ought, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to have confidence that Christ takes away sin. Uh, John uh, says that the phrase that he gives here is he says, behold, pay attention to this guy who's coming by. Like, don't miss him. He, he says, a fra- he gives him this title. He calls him the Lamb of God in verse 29. He says he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we've probably, if we've grown up around church, we've been around church a long time, our mind instantly goes, and I think rightfully so, as I'll share in a minute, to this idea of Jesus as a lamb that was sacrificed for us, as almost like a Passover lamb who had to be put to death and had to have his blood shed so that we might have forgiveness. And I think that's part, maybe, of what John the Baptist was trying to say here, but This is a few years before Jesus dies on the cross. This is a few years before all that stuff starts to make total sense to them that the Messiah isn't just going to become this ruler and crush people with authority, but he's going to be suffering. He's going to be one who has to be put to death. And so I think possibly what John the Baptist had in mind here as he sees Jesus and says, look, it's the Lamb of God 
it may be, there, there, in the hundreds of years that had come before John's birth and after the Old Testament, so that time in between the, when you flip from Malachi to Matthew, there had developed this viewpoint of, in a few writings that, that God's people respected, this idea of a Lamb of God who was like a Messiah figure, the Messiah himself, who was going to come. And they didn't totally emphasize him suffering and his death, his need to be a sacrifice. It was this weird image of a lamb who was like strong and conquering and who like ruled and like who made all God's enemies go away and, and destroyed sin. And you even see some of that in Revelation again when you read that book of the Bible. It's just like conquering lamb. And it's, I think probably in the immediate that John the Baptist, when he says, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he maybe had that in mind. That's my guess, is that this, this Messiah, this Jesus, he now knows, is going to be this Lamb who conquers and who does away with sin, not in a, a sense of dying for the sin, but in a way of like, I'm doing away with it. I'm eradicating it. I'm, I'm doing away with sin and wrongdoing, and I'm going to make things, he's going to make things right. But I think what John the disciple did, who recorded this story for us, and who knows the rest of the story, he's writing this way after uh, Jesus came and was crucified and raised from the dead, is that John keeps that phrase, the Lamb of God, but he knows, and he wants us to know as people who read it, that it's way, that means way more than just this idea that John the Baptist kind of had in his mind of a conquering lamb who's just going to crush people. Because as you continue reading through the story, you see this Lamb of God phrasing. You see this idea come to life in the sense that Jesus was to become that sacrifice. Uh, that, that, that sacrifice of a lamb they at least would do every year at Passover as a reminder that a lamb would be put to death so that God's people wouldn't. A, a lamb would have the sin uh, put upon it and dealt with so that God's people could have it removed from them. You see that that is what took place at the cross. That is what took place there at the cross later in the Gospel of John, is that this innocent lamb, Jesus, who had no spots, no blemishes, no sin upon him at all, that as he went to the cross, he was taking the sin of the world. He was taking the sin of people like me and people like you, and he was taking it upon himself, and he let himself be sacrificed. He let his blood be shed. He let his body be crushed. He let his his body give way to death so that our sins might be removed from us that they might be taken away from us and placed upon him and i think that's what john the disciple as he records the story has in mind even bigger and better than what john the baptist had in mind he's saying jesus is that lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world that way in the sense that he died for them he took them upon himself and it's a beautiful phrase uh, that he took away the sin of the world like that is so significant and needful for us to hear that 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 he takes away sin that he can go to a person's life like me or like you who is filled with sin who has a long history of sin who has sin we don't even realize and we don't even totally get how ugly and vile it is and he can take it off of us take it upon himself and be crushed for it, bear the full weight of it, and leave us forgiven, leave us cleansed, leave us uh, new people who no longer have that guilt and no longer have that sin upon us. He is the one who can do that. Uh, We are not capable of doing that ourselves. And he takes away sin. It's not just that he takes away suffering, 
or that, he, that, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away inconveniences or takes away other things. He deals with our major problem of sin. That is what he takes away as he goes to the cross, as he takes away our sin. And he says he takes away the sin of the world. I don't want that phrase to be lost on us because you see in the beginning here of John's gospel, even in what he said, did you know he said that I came baptizing for this purpose that the Messiah might be revealed to who? He said to Israel, right? And so there was this belief that that in some sense that the Messiah was just going to come for Israelites, that he was just going to come and however he dealt with sin and all of our problems, he was going to do it mainly for Israelites, mainly for Jewish people. But as John the Baptist phrases this, he says that Jesus is going to take away the sin of the world. That means Americans. That means people who live in every continent, every nation, every age, every era. It's not just for Israelites that he came and for their sin, but he came to deal with the sin of us all, to make forgiveness and and eternal life available to all people for all time. That is what Christ came to do, to die and take away the sin for the world. I want to share for a moment with you, if you have never placed your faith in Christ, maybe you have come into this room today and you feel the weight of your sin. Like, I don't know if you grew up in a church or maybe you didn't, but you, regardless that your conscience has been pricked recently, you have felt the ugliness of maybe even things you've done this weekend, maybe even things that you've thought today, maybe things from long ago, vile things that you've done and that you regret, and you, you wonder how in the world could I ever be forgiven of that? Like how I have this sin that I've tried to scrub out, I've tried to get rid of it, I've tried to to put bleach on my soul, I've tried to do religious things, I've tried and tried and tried, or maybe you say, I've never tried and I haven't ever even cared, but recently God's been convicting me of my sin. I want you to have confidence that Christ can take away your sin. Like, plain and simple. Like, he, he, it's not something that's hard for him. John the Baptist says it, and it's true, that Christ takes away the sin of the world. And that if, if you would behold him, if you'll look to him as the one who went to the cross and took your sin upon himself, and you believe that he was raised a few days later and is alive and well right now, if you put your trust in him, he will take away your sin. He will do it this morning. He will do it completely. He will do it permanently. He will remove your sin from your record. He will remove it from your heart. He will make you clean. And I want you to have confidence in that. That's not just something that I'm saying. It's not just something that John the Baptist is saying. I mean, I do have confidence that it's true. John the Baptist had confidence that that is true, that Jesus can do that. But I'm basing that on a lot more. I wasn't there when, John, when Jesus was baptized. God didn't prepare me for that. But I know based on eyewitness accounts about stuff that happened later in his life that he really was put to death on a cross outside Jerusalem, that he was dead as dead can be, having borne the full weight of sin, and he was wrapped and he was put in the tomb. And then hundreds upon hundreds of people saw him raised from the dead, alive and well again, walking and talking and eating and saying that he had overcome the grave, that he had borne the full weight of sin, and he never died again. God took him back up into heaven. And based on that, based on the testimony and the witness that has been passed down to us from others, like the disciple John who's writing this very story, I can tell you with absolute confidence that Christ is alive and well and that he can take away your sin.
And so if you've never placed your trust in him, I would urge you to do that today with confidence that he'll receive you, confidence that he can remove the sin from your life that has so plagued you. He can do that, and he will do that if you put your trust in him. But I want to stop for a moment to those of us who maybe we've done that long ago, and we've been followers of Christ for as long as we remember. And we know, man, I am confident. I entered in here confident that that my sins have been removed from me. I I want us to to remember that, though, in the days ahead, uh, in the days where we start to feel convicted about sin in our life, the days that we have, have given over to temptation in certain ways. It's in those moments that we can be tempted to think that our sin is remaining upon us. Maybe Christ didn't really take it away from me. I've done some things that I I, I should not have. And we feel this conviction, this shame that comes upon us as God's people. And we need to have confidence if we have put our trust in Christ. We need to have confidence that our sin has been taken away from us. It is not as if, I was thinking about this. Have you ever had this experience where uh, you maybe put something in a storage bin or you put a coat away for the winter or something and then when you finally uh, get it back out, maybe when the weather finally cools down sometime in the next few weeks or whatever and you find something that was in your pocket, like a 20 or something like that or a 10 or maybe more. I don't carry bigger money than that. Um, But you find something that you just totally had just assumed was gone and maybe had totally uh, forgotten about it. Uh, It was just tucked away somewhere. Uh, I think sometimes we have this nervousness, even if we don't articulate it, that that God is is going to have, like, more or less put my sin away, more or less done away with it and put it away, dealt with it, gotten rid of it. But that we have this nervousness, I think, that in that sort of roundabout way, somehow that's going to come back up again. Somehow God's going to pull that back out. And when I've done something really bad, or maybe a judgment day, that he's going he's gonna to bring this sin back out. He's going to trot it back out and say, oh, like, you remember that long ago? You remember that season where you were disobedient? You remember that really vile thing? that you did and we have this nervousness I think sometimes in the back of our mind that our sin is going to come back out it's going to come back up but we need to know that when Christ takes away sin he does it permanently Uh, he doesn't take it away and then keep it in his back pocket and then hold it over our heads again when we start to do wrong or when we have disobeyed him or stopped trusting him he removes Read Psalm 103. This is a wonderful passage where uh, in verses 11 and 12, the psalmist says this, As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes our transgressions from us. That's how far he takes them away. You can keep going east forever, and you will always go east. And you can keep going west forever, and you will always go west. And that is as far as God has moved, removed our transgressions from us. They are gone. They are dealt with perfectly and completely, and finally at the cross. The Lord will never hang those back over our heads. And so we ought to be people who have confidence uh, that the Lord can take away our sin, and that if we put our trust in him, that he has done that. Uh, so have confidence that Christ takes away sin. But you see, as John the Baptist continues down in his recounting of this story, there's a confidence that he also has that Christ gives the Holy Spirit. It's not just that he removes something, that he takes something away from us, that, but he has confidence that Christ gives the Holy Spirit. And where I see that is down in verse 33. Uh, and we may read past this, but he says how he didn't know Christ. He wasn't absolutely confident that... He had been the Messiah, but that God the Father had prepared him. And what God the Father had told him, note this, 
What God the Father had told John the Baptist in advance was he said, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, so he prepped him to see this, and then this is what he says to John the Baptist. He says, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see this contrast come up a few times in the Gospel of John of water and spirit. You'll see that come up, like the differences and how those work. Uh, they're very different. And one is far more, the work of the spirit is far more powerful than some work of water and some external thing that happens. And so he says, he tells him, the one you see that happen to, the unique thing about him is he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we might wonder, what in the world does that mean? Like, does that mean Jesus is going to, like, start baptizing people somewhere and, like, the Holy Spirit is going to be with them and they're going to, like, be tag-teaming, baptizing people or something like that? That's not at all. When he says that they'll, they'll baptize, that this man, Jesus, is going to baptize with the Spirit, I think the way we can get a glimpse in a, and start to wrap our minds around that is to see how it's contrasted, this baptism with the Spirit, how it's contrasted with baptism with water. Because that's what John was doing, was baptizing people with water, baptizing people in water. Uh, and what John the Baptist was doing was this outward thing. It was this external thing. He would ask people. He would call them to come to the Jordan River. He would call them out into the river. He would have them go under the water, I believe, and then come back up. And it was this, it was this outward thing that they were choosing to do, this, this call to repentance. And they were responding to it like we saw last week. But what the baptism of the Holy, with the Holy Spirit is, is going to be an internal work that the Holy Spirit himself is going to do upon human beings and upon groups of people. It's not going to be this outward thing that happens to them. It's going to be an internal work. And I want, I want to point this out. I want you to pay attention and note where this is taking place. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but John the Baptist, we saw at the end of last week, verse 28, it says that these things are taking place in Bethany, across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so we know, and even based on other gospel records, that John the Baptist is primarily baptizing people in the Jordan River. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that or if you know much about the backstory of the Jordan River and what has taken place there. But I think it's significant, and even it can be instructive to us about this, what can water really do, but what can the Holy Spirit do that's even greater and deeper by remembering what's took, what used to take place there at the Jordan River. If you go back far in time in the Bible to the books of Exodus and the books of Joshua, you see the Jordan River uh, play prominently. So God had given this promise to his people of this land that they would live in. Do you remember this? He had told Abraham uh, that he was going to give them this land to live in. But for a long time, they were not in that land. They were in slavery in Egypt. And God does this amazing thing where he brings them out of slavery in miraculous ways under the leadership of, ex, uh, of Moses, they do this exodus. Do you remember this? And the, this plague comes upon the, the Egyptians, and God brings them up to the edge of the Red Sea, this time first, and he parts the water miraculously. Like, I would love to see what that was like. And they pass through on dry ground, and as they come to the other side, the water comes back over the chariots and the soldiers uh, who, had, who had been following them. And you would think as they pass through that water that that would maybe change something in them. As they saw that happen, that man, that maybe their hearts are going to be changed. But you see that they grumble and they complain and they're bitter and they're frustrated saying they want to go back. And so God makes them wander around in the wilderness. You probably remember this for 40 years. 
So there's this new generation that arises, okay? And now they're finally ready at the start of the book of Joshua to go into the promised land, finally. And the place they're coming ready to enter into it is at the Jordan River. That would have been like, I'll try a thing from your perspective, like the east side of the promised land. They come up to it. They come up to the same river, to this Jordan River. And God tells them, have some of your priests go first, step their feet out into the water, have them carry the Ark of the Covenant, uh, this important uh, box almost that they would carry with them. And as they did, he said, I'll part the waters again. And he did. He, he has these waters part again at this very river And God's people, at least the the warriors at this time, pass over into the promised land. And it's this miraculous thing. that So they pass through water again. And you're thinking, man, like maybe this is going to be it. Like they pass through the water again. Like now they're going to get it. God's going to have changed them. They're going to conquer. They're going to establish his rule and his reign in this place. And it's going to be glorious. But you see, again, as they, they conquer these cities, they do decently for a while. But you see, slowly as generations roll by, sin returns again. Those same unbelief comes back worse even and stronger. And disobedience comes back stronger. And so what you can remember and what you can know from these events is that just passing through this water, passing through this Jordan River, did nothing to change the people. It was this external thing that God had done and tried to show them, but it was all on the outside. It's not as if their hearts changed as they passed through those waters. And John the Baptist, I think, knew the same thing would be true as people came to him to be baptized. Or the same is true today, honestly, as we do baptisms here. As people go through this water as as they're baptized, that action does nothing to change their heart. I have known many people who've been baptized. I've probably baptized people who seemed uh, like they were believing, but have, there's been so many people who are baptized, and there's no change in their hearts at all. And what John the Baptist is saying is that Jesus is going to do something I cannot do. Like, I can dunk people underwater. I can have them come back up. I can tell them to repent. I can tell them to trust in Jesus, but I cannot change their hearts. But he says, this Jesus, the Spirit of God came down and descended and remained upon him. And he's going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. He is going to actually change people. Like, he is actually going to give them new hearts. And he's actually going to give them help and power to obey by giving them the Holy Spirit. And John's envisioning this this ministry that Jesus is going to have that's going to far surpass his. Because Jesus is going to be able to come to the hearts of people and give them the Holy Spirit. He's going to be able to have the Spirit of God come into a person and take up residence within them and give them new hearts and give them a love for Christ and a desire to obey. And so we see this come up throughout the book of John, the role of the Spirit of God in people's lives. And if we don't have His work in our life, if if we've not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, then we are not believing we are not having eternal life we are not having power to obey what we need each of us is the spirit of god to baptize us to change our hearts to 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 make us into new people and so the spirit of god brings life like he's the one who can change a person's heart he is the one who gives god's presence he takes up residence within god's people when we come to faith Uh, He is the one who gives us power uh, to obey, to overcome sin. He's the one who gives us confidence in our life as we face struggle, as we face suffering, as we face mistreatment, as we face sickness. He is the one who gives us confidence uh, 
and in the presence and the power and the life of the Lord. I want you to know uh, that, that not just the relevance of this truth for you yourself, but also for the people that you love, the people that you want to see changed. I know some of you, and I know even the people who are on your heart, that you say, man, I, the Spirit needs to come and work in them. Like, I've tried to tell them. I've tried to call them over and over again to Christ. I've tried to, to call them. Uh, I would remind you that they need the Spirit of God to come and change their heart. They need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I would urge you to be in prayer for them. Like not just keep trying to tell them over and over about Christ. We need to do that. And I'll share that in a second. But plead with God to send his spirit upon this person or upon this family or upon this group. Plead with him because he's the one who can do it. He can get into their hearts. He can change them in an instant. And I would would urge you to plead with him and pray pray to him on behalf of these people. But I want to also remind you what you can do. Like, you can't change their heart. You can pray for them, and you can bring them the gospel. You can tell them uh, about Christ, and you need to point them, just like John the Baptist did, to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because that is how the Spirit works. That is when he works, is when people hear the good news of Christ, that he's come for us, that he's been crucified for us, that he's been raised from the dead for us, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the tool the Spirit uses to change hearts. That When people hear that, faith comes by hearing. And that's, that's when the Spirit will take up residence within a person if he's going to, is when they hear Christ from you. Uh, when they read about Christ in the scriptures or they hear about him from your lips. And so give these people the gospel that you care about we're going to sing a song together in a minute i was i was thinking about this phrase this week and thinking about how god through christ takes away our sin uh, but also how he gives the holy spirit and i was thinking of this phrase that we often use of give and take that you use that phrase sometimes uh it's a phrase we've come to use where we just talk about kind of like negotiating with people or like kind of making concessions with people like I'll do this but you got to do this for me and uh, I'll work hard on this but you've got to work hard on this like it's a give and take type of deal and sometimes we can subtly start to think of our relationship with God that way that man God I'm going to work hard on this thing like I'm going to try I'm going to try real hard to do this but you've got to come through with uh, for me this way and we start to feel like our relationship with God is this give and take, that we're sort of brokering a deal with God. Like, I'll, I'll do this, you, but you've got to do this for me. But God has a much better deal for us than that. He doesn't play that way with us. Like, we don't, we don't get to put terms on God and make conditions to him of what he must do for us. But God gives us a far better deal and one that we don't deserve. He says, look, I, by the work I've done through Christ, I will give you the Holy Spirit and I will take away your sin. And you don't have to do anything other than put your trust in my son. Like that is the deal that the Lord offers to us. And we don't deserve it. We can never gain it or earn it for ourselves. But as we hear that, may we have confidence in Christ that he has come for us, that he can take away our sin and that he can give us his spirit of promise. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing together a song, I believe, to close our time. Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much for sending Christ. Thank you for sending him into our world to to be the lamb of God who could deal with our sin, who could take it away once and for all from us, that he could remove that uh, blot that we sang about earlier, that, that he can do what is impossible for us. Thank you so much for the gift of your spirit. Uh, 
Thank you for not just leaving us as people without sin, but thank you for giving us your spirit to give us life and power to actually do righteous things, to actually obey, to actually love. Father, we pray even as we close in singing uh, that you would stir up our hearts to have confidence in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.